Whether it be Jazz, Utes, Cougars, or Aggies, we're breaking down the teams you're passionate about. Thank you. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G, presented by Rocky Mountain Chevy Dealers on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Hans and Scotty, 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network, 205. David Locke will join us coming up here in just a moment. We'll chat with him on the game from last night, get his thoughts on what we saw and what we uh, looking forward to going forward. What needs to be fixed, what went wrong, but also what went right. There were some good things from last night. It wasn't all bad. No. There was a lot of bad, but it wasn't all bad. I mean, team shoots 47% from three against you. That's going to be a problem. That's going to be a big problem, and and when you go 0-16 between two of your starters and and you're known as a, a perimeter team, that could be a problem as well. David Locke, play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz, joining us, brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, how are you? Hey, David. I'm good. How are you guys doing today? Doing so great. Good. Really good. Can't complain. Um, good. What do you think of your new head coach at Utah State? Uh, I like him. Uh, I still doing a little digging into him, but uh, – his uh, his brother is on the scouting staff for the Utah Jazz. Um, apparently, uh, he also recruited Dennis Lindsay's son, Matt, uh, a couple of years ago. So, uh, a lot of connections with the Utah Jazz with uh, Ryan Odom. So, yeah. I remember watching Baltimore, Maryland playing Virginia, and I was with a Virginia grad. We're five minutes in the game. I'm like, you could lose this. And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, oh, they're spacing the floor five out, and there's nobody in the ACC that spaces the floor five out, and Virginia has no idea what they're doing. Yeah. So he runs NBA stuff, so that should be interesting. Yeah, I was talking to somebody earlier today and said, yeah, there's a lot of uh, NBA concepts that they'd like to use there. And so it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, it'll be fun. I'm, you know, Craig Smith's going to do a hell of a job at Utah. That's a good get for them and uh, should, should, be, uh, should be an interesting get for sure. Which job has more chance for success, Utah State or Utah? Oh boy. Um, like what level of success? You talking about conference yeah, well, I guess, success or national? Like wins in the tournament, uh, conference uh, tournament championships. We're, probably, if we're being really honest about both programs, chance to get the next big gig. Right, that's what coaches are doing. Really, truly, is they're trying to go get the next big gig. So if you're a coach. Do you think you get your next big gig out of Utah State or out of Utah? Well, why? I don't understand why Utah can't be looked at as the big gig. I mean, they're top fifteen pay. They've got pageantry. All right, well, all right. So, so that so then that answers Utah State got the big gig. So all right, so then that answers that. So then the next question is who's got a better chance to get to the tournament and win in the tournament? Uh, I think Craig Smith's got some heavy lifting to do, uh, especially the news Ian Martinez uh, transferring out. So. Uh, in the immediate future, I would say if it's based on getting to the tournament, it would be Utah State. Plus, looking at what the Pac-12 just did in the tournament, I don't, I don't want to be competing in the Pac-12 for the next two years. It, it's interesting. I actually think Utah State's got a better chance to get in the tournament in Utah. And then part two of this is there is an interesting game right now in the NCAs that if you can keep a group together for three or four years, it seems to be a really big advantage. At the same time, 
you got it. You can go get the Jalen Suggs of the world. It's a really big advantage, right? There's, you just don't want to get caught in the middle. And I feel like Utah actually gets caught in the middle a little, right? They can't really go get the one-and-done guys that are studs. They can't really hold it together for four years. And they can't really get the guys that are, like, they're not – I don't know. Like, there's – whereas I almost wonder, like, can Utah State not have to worry about one-and-done so that then you're able to take a crew and kind of it materializes over three or four years – and maybe it doesn't have the NBA. I mean, we can tell this is it's cute like Gonzaga, but they got five guys that are going to get drafted. So yeah. <clears throat> maybe it just really comes down to whether you can just get the talent. And then in that case, I guess Utah should be able to get better talent than Utah State. You know, the problem is, too, now, and it's going to get and, – and I don't want to say a problem because I think it's – if a kid wants to leave and go somewhere, then by all means go ahead and do it. But the uh, it's really difficult for a coach to keep a team together for two or three years, especially a mid-major because – you got two or three kids that end up being really good, then then you got P five schools coming calling and saying, Hey, you know what? You're you're wasting your talents down there, come up here, and that's why we've got eleven hundred kids in the transfer portal right now. But I love the I gotta say this, I know everyone's got a problem with the transfer portal. I love the transfer portal. Because we may have a cultural issue or some sort of thing where you have to you know, kids quit or whatever you want to call it. But the old system where coaches could leave on their own and players were penalized if they go to a bad situation where coaches could recruit a player and completely lie to them, tell them complete garbage. And then the player gets there and something else and they're penalized. It was not, it was not the equitable system. This is while not great. This is a million times better than the inequitable system that was anti-player we had beforehand. So I, I I'm, I know people have a hard time. There's just like this negative tint to the portal. But let's remember how tragically unfair this was to the student athlete or the athlete beforehand. I don't disagree with what you're saying. I also, and in theory, you're 100% right. Um, There are just more kids in the portal now than there are homes and scholarships available. And so. But like we also used to have Rick Majerus tell David Jackson. I don't want you back next year. You can't come back. Oh yeah, yeah. No, look, I'm in theory, I'm you right. Can't, you can't have that. Like, nope. So now you now the players actually get to look at the coach and go, you know, what? I don't want to come back. Like it goes both ways here. So that's the only way. It's I right. just there's so this is I agree with you. The yeah. portal's loaded, and that's in. But you know what? I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna take the positive approach here. I think this is gonna slightly rectify itself, in the sense that I think coaches are gonna have to recruit more honestly. Oh, you saying they're not? <laughs> like when you're recruiting a kid, you're gonna have to be pretty straightforward with them right now about what opportunities you really are gonna get, because when they don't get the opportunity, you're telling them they're now leaving. Well, there's a couple other things kids need to start to just recruit schools and look at schools and not coaching staffs. And hundred percent. The the other hundred percent. And the other thing that's interesting. I mean, go, go to the like my kid was a ski racer, and it's not the same thing. But the number one message was go to the school you want to go to if you break your leg. Yeah. The other thing that you, you're at that school when your career ends. The other thing you got to look at this is is coaches and maybe schools have to use this as a reason to keep keep a staff. You know, if if you're going to lose a staff and you're going to lose three or four guys to the portal and the, and those players stand up for a coach, I don't know that that, that might be a situation that's a great as point well. Too. You can leverage. Yeah, that's it. a great point. That's a, I hadn't thought. You know, right. But that's a good point. Like, if you get recruited by Larry Kraskoviak and you want to be here and you like – and now all of a sudden he's not there anymore, you should be able to leave. Yeah, yeah. 
Like if a school fired the coach, he's basically telling you that everything you got promised that we're not upholding. So you should be able to live. I, I understand. I'm just tired of, and I'm not, you know, I'm coming from 30,000 feet, but I'm really tired of listening to everybody gripe about the portal. Sure. Players are moving this and that. We can get into the whole cultural thing. that kids quit. Eh, eh. You know, adults, parents want their kids in better. Probably like that's true, but that's actually not, tr- that's not actually different. That's not basketball. That's just society, right? Like read the book on how to raise an adult. Mm-hmm. You hear all the stories about the parents that are like going to registration with their freshman class kids to make sure they get the right classes. Like this is just, a cultural problem we have. It's not a basketball problem. Well, well, Scotty did mention one of the big issues, and Kyle Whittingham said this, and Scotty, correct me if I'm wrong, was it four players in the portal to every one scholarship available? Yeah, and that's that's the point. There's there's a lot of kids out there and not a lot of scholarships. And look, you know, Lee, these are big boy decisions, and you got to take big boy risks if you're not happy and you want to go somewhere and you want to give up a sure scholarship to better your position that's the risk you're gonna have to take so I, what happens to that what happens to that kid who does that he doesn't have a scholarship yeah he's out he's out oh, well, then that's gonna pay for his own fault. college i know that's what i'm saying these are big boy decisions well and, 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 and david, david it, i've talked about this too as a parent of athletes you now have to really inform your kids on how to handle their business because you you, you can't just pull up anchor and leave because you want to jump into the portal and find a better situation Parents need to educate their kids. Yes, this this is probably the right way to go, and they should have this option if coaches leave. But you darn well better educate your kid and and make them understand that they still have to have patience. They still have to play their way onto the field or onto the court. It doesn't matter if a coaching staff leaves. You still have to have a, a landing spot if you decide to go. Otherwise, you're in the situation Scotty's talking about. Well, and let's get to the next part of this. So this now gets into – Probably some socioeconomic, probably um, issues here uh, and some connection issues. Who really has time to understand the system? Who's really bright enough to understand the system? Who really has the connections to be able to, like, follow this, right? Like, it's really complicated. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a full-time job to be able to understand – what the landscape is, where the spots are, who's there. Do you have a connection to call someone who can make a call for you? Like, you know, that's, that's the, you know, that's, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I go to, I have, to, um, this is, you know, my hero in life who's runs this school out of the Bay area where every for 25 years, every kid who's gone to college out of that school it's been the first one in their family to ever go to college. And his comment to me was like, they're still so far behind, right? They still don't have the connections. They still don't have a, you know, um, you know, interview practices, connections to get interviews, all those kind of things. I think this is somewhat true in this, in the portal too, that if you're not coming, like if you don't have someone's kind of full-time job or part-time job with their full-time job is following it, you're probably getting left behind. Well, and that the one connection they're going to have is an AAU coach, and uh, you're not quite sure what their intentions are, and and if 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 their, you know, intents are pure as well. So I mean, there's there's a lot of I mean, you, you look, you came on two weeks and you said what we all know. You just said it. It's the most dirtiest sport in all of sports is college basketball, and frankly, right. it's not close. So I mean, I mean, I've heard there's a, like a great story about a player walking through the line layup line during his conference tournament after they've left and the head, the coach of a team 
of the opposing team says to the player, I'll give you 200. I'm going to such and such school next year, taking a job there. I'll give you 250 to come play. Well, the uh, the handshake line, uh, and I think maybe it was Tim Lacombe who said this. There is more recruiting going on in the handshake line after a game than uh, than than anywhere else in all. Right. I mean, so I mean, the real story is. So what we're really saying is, if you've entered the portal without an agreement, you're in trouble. Yep. Yep. If you're not a high level kid, you're a mid level kid, and you got. So you should. It's the same. You're not entering the portal until you know. Unless you no, Look, you shouldn't enter the portal unless you've already got your landing spot. I will tell anybody this: never ask somebody to marry you unless you know what the answer is going to be. Right, fair, hundred percent. I still was scared. Liz. Whoa, we got. Did we? Have I to... didn't say it. I said, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded like a Joe Ingles interview. <laughs> hey, uh, David, let, let's talk a little bit about this Dallas game last night. Uh, troubles from the perimeter. Is that something that jazz fans should be concerned with, or were there open looks? Were they were they missing open looks, or or were the Mavericks out there defending well in the perimeter? So we went like twenty six of fifty five the night before, right? Yep. yep. So we've gotten thirty eight of our last ninety nine from three. That would be the math, yeah. Yeah, uh, we shoot ninety five point five, thirty nine point five percent for the season. Yeah, round up to forty. We found that out last week. Yeah, so um, 38 of 99 would be about what? What about there? Yeah, I mean, I just yeah, it's a so third. I yeah. think yeah, so I mean, it's we're right we're right at our number. Yeah. Um, so honestly, Hans, when I when I called the game, I thought they were really hugging to our shooters. Um, that we were getting into pick and roll, we were getting caught in the middle lane. They were hugging to our shooters, and we couldn't get good looks. And then I came home, and this morning I ran through our twenty whatever three point shots in the first quarter, in which we made in the first half, which we made four. They're great. Most of them were early. You know, we take the most threes in the NBA in the first six seconds of the shot clock. We take the second most in the first nine seconds of the shot clock. We had all those. We went like two of nine on those. Um, we got wide open catch and shoots where we executed perfectly off there off their defense and we missed them. So give them credit because they made a change in their game plan, which was they didn't let Rudy dunk 12 times on them. Like we, like he did earlier, but I would feel comfortable in a seven game series. If they went to that defense in four of the seven games, we would make enough shots. Now we can't guard Luca, nor can anyone else. And you know, this is the concern. The concern to me is on the other side. The concern is, I don't think we can guard Dame. I don't think we can guard Luca. I don't think we can guard LeBron. I don't think we can guard Kawhi. How about Booker? I don't. I'll have to find out. Like that's interesting. Might not be able to guard Booker, but not because we can't guard Booker, and not because we can't guard Doncic, and we can't guard Dame. Nobody can. Yeah. And so that's my only concern. Is it? Is it? Those guys are that great. Like Luca's great. I mean, he's. I figured the perfect comp for Luca last night. He's Diana Taurasi, who's the greatest women's player of all time. But he's six seven. She's six. That's the same thing height wise. Playing a power point guard game can get anywhere he wants to go. Brilliant passing. Can shoot from the outside. 
he's incredible. And he couldn't always shoot from the outside. So, um, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's unstoppable. Like we don't have an answer. And when we may not have a particular answer because our defensive stopper is six foot four. Yeah. And these guys, everyone I mentioned is six, nine. Um, but, and the other thing is those guys are all able to live without being at the rim. Like, you know, Zach Levine, when he couldn't get to the rim the other night, suddenly really didn't have a game left to answer. Nikola Vucevic, when he didn't have a two-point shot, didn't really have a game. And those guys are all-stars. But these next-tier guys are just so incredible that even someone as great as Rudy just might not be impacting them because they're that great. David Locke joining us right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone, brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team, uh, as he does every Tuesday uh, at this time. Um, so afterwards, Donovan Mitchell said, you know, look, it was uh, sometimes it's a uh, it's a make-or-miss league, and they were making, we were missing, and that's, that's what happened tonight. Um, so, you know, based on what you've just said, if you were to strike up last night's game, is it a make or miss game, or was it? Uh, were are there other issues that concern you more than just the Jazz? You know, if they shoot their average, there's 15 more points on the board for the Jazz. Well, and if Josh Richardson doesn't go five for five, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, in the simplest terms of this game, in the simplest terms, and I'm not trying to isolate one person, but just in the simplest terms, the Mavericks put Luka Doncic in the middle of the key as a free safety and every time Rudy Gobert rolled to the rim, Doncic hit him or Donovan cut the line and hit him and left Royce O'Neal wide open. Now this is over exaggeration because Royce some of Royce's looks were in transition, but this is this is accurate in certain in most half court sets. And so Royce didn't make a shot. On the flip side, we put Rudy Gobert in the middle of the paint just so that when Luca drove he ran into somebody and they kicked the door in Finney Smith, and he made his shots. Like, he went 5 of 12. Like, so just flip those two guys and have Dorian Finney Smith go 3 or three or 4 of 12 like he's supposed to. It's really only one shot. It's three. It's called three and a half, four points. And have Royce go 3 of 8 like he's supposed to. Well, that's 11, 12 points. Like, that's the game. Now, I thought we broke in the third quarter, but I think you break in this league when you just have missed that many shots in a row. So... Um, and, uh, you know, it's not great that we broke in the third quarter and they went nuts shooting. Um, but there was a sequence where we, we like let Tim Hardaway kind of walk himself into back to back, like rhythm through the leg, three point shots without much resistance. And then, um, I think George got caught on a mismatch with Luca where really they didn't want Luca going left. Cause that's a step back three. And he like just walked right into it. Um, so I think that, um, you know, I think when you, there are what well, definitely is a sequence. We weren't very good, but like the game should not have been where it was at the time that the sequence happened. Well, you just were talking about Damian Lillard and Devin Booker. We won't have a chance to catch up with you before those two games coming up tomorrow. And then Thursday, uh, what should we expect? What should jazz fans expect uh, for one road on the game now against Phoenix, and then coming home the next night against Portland against two Western conference contenders, really tough teams. So, in reverse order, Portland is us, probably with a little less depth. But they have just, they're playing the exact same we are. And with Norman Powell, they are just a beast, and they've got this, and they've got a, you know, they've got a guy that's a little better than Donovan right now. Um, you know, he's also been in the league five years longer. 
Um, but that that's really they're they're playing the exact same game we are. If you go look at the last ten or twelve games, I think they're taking forty eight percent of their shots as threes. We're doing the same. They've got Norman Powell, C.J. McCollum, Dame Lillard, and then they've got their version of Royce O'Neal, Robert Covington, their version of Gobert's now Nurkic, who's healthy again. Their bench is not as good. Favors is better than Cantor, and they've got some pieces on their bench that are a little slim compared to what we have and the fact that we have Ingles and Clarkson, and that's the difference. But generally, the way these teams are playing recently, those two teams are, you know, that's going to be a shootout. That's going to be really incredible and i don't know how you guard dame anymore i well i do know you don't um i don't know how you're supposed to guard dame anymore because you he's setting they're setting picks at 35 feet and or 30 feet and you really can't go under crazy that you cannot go under a 30 foot pick um and that then dame if you go over then dame's coming around and you're playing dame's playing four on three and across the nba across the nba floor he's going to kill you um, Phoenix is really interesting to watch because they're doing some strange, different things. So they're 28th in the league in shots at the rim. So for Rudy to impact this game, he's going to have to come out and guard at 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 feet. They take the seventh most amount of mid-range shots in the league. They do get a lot of – what's interesting about what they're doing, i got to watch them today to figure out, they're getting a lot of corner threes without getting to the rim. Most teams get to the rim and kick out to the corner. They're somehow creating those opportunities – earlier on the floor they make 49 percent of their mid-range shots which is the best in the league they make a ton of their corner threes um their third best corner three shooting team in the league so i gotta find how they're getting those looks out of that um and they're a good three-point shooting team they're flat out good the other one that i think will be interesting to watch is their defense is really good and they have the personnel that looks like it could cause us problems mikhail bridges on a wing long lanky wing can guard jay crowder gets in on on guys, uh, he really bothered Boyan in the last matchup. And then, you know, can the do the Jazz have enough options to go try to take advantage of Devin Booker or Chris Paul defensively? Um, and then DeAndre Ayton has been playing a much, much better um, defensive basketball than he has in the years past. He's improved defensively, and that's just time. He came in the league as a 19-year-old player with no idea what he was doing, and he's gotten better and better at it. So. Uh, Phoenix is totally legit. You know, there's no anybody's got any question marks on them. I think they're what 26 and six in their last 30 some odd games. Um, they're great, and then Portland I think is rocking. The West is crazy. There are you got to get the one seed. You just got to get the one seed. There are seven really excellent teams, five great teams, and two superstars on the next two teams that are unguardable. You've got to get the one seed. When the Jazz went on that first long winning streak, uh, you mentioned in a game with uh, with Ron that you said that, and, and I might be putting words in your mouth, so if I misquote you, I apologize. But you said that the Jazz were looked tired, like the the the, the streak had been taking a bit of a toll on them. Um, and since then, they've had another eight game winning streak. Last night, they had a nine game winning streak that got snapped. As as the the high expectations and fighting for that one and holding on to that and having to play great basketball night in and night out, is that taking a bit of a toll on this team? In your opinion, it's interesting. My reaction is no. Um, I could be wrong. So that just to share with you that, that my initial reaction to that is no. Uh, the only thing that's going to take a toll is this absurd schedule right now. Yeah. Like Memphis, poor Memphis is dead. Like Memphis missed all those games because of COVID, and they're playing just a million games in a row here. Um, the next stretch of Five games for the Jazz to me are really, really important. Um, they play five straight games at home after when they come back, and I know they'll be playing their third game in four nights and their fourth game in six nights and their fifth game in seven nights. 
fifth game in seven nights when they play the Blazers. Like, we're going to see some horrendous performances around the league here coming up, and we just have to kind of wash them away, and then it's going to include the Jazz. But the most important games we actually play to me coming up here are Sacramento, Washington, Oklahoma City, and Indiana, and Minnesota at home. And the reason is because we have two days off before Minnesota at home, which is unheard of. We have two days off before Indiana, which is unheard of. And the other three teams aren't very good. Like, we've got to win those five games. We've probably got to go win at Houston. Get those six. I know we'll have a lot of consternation about, like, whether or not we can beat, you know, if we lose to Phoenix and Portland, and rightfully so, and people can say what they want. But the fact of the matter is, like, the schedule right now in this league is brutal, and you've just got to win the games you're supposed to win. And if we can, obviously, if we can get Phoenix tomorrow and it comes close, you know, puts us up on the one seed in a, in a monstrous way and gives us a chance to win the season series on April 30th and end the race, you know, before we enter into May, um, that would be ideal. But I think the really, truthfully, the way we survive this is we've got Sa- we've got Sacramento twice. You got to beat win both those games. You got Oklahoma City twice. You got to win both those games. You got Houston. That's five. You got the Spurs twice. It kind of seemed like a mess at home. Get both of those. That's seven, right? You, you, <clears throat> in fact, we have Houston twice. That's eight. Like you just got to notch those wins. Minnesota twice. That's ten. Like if we go ten and zero on those wins and get to forty-eight, you know, we might be all right. Like that actually might be prob- That might actually be enough to secure the one seed. The last projection I saw had Phoenix at fifty. So like if you get to fifty-one, fifty-two wins, you're probably at the one seed without beating any of these teams. When you think about that game coming up tomorrow in a full game swing, they would be one and a half games back if if the Jazz do fall in that game against Phoenix. So yeah, our schedule is way easier than theirs the rest of the way. Is I guess my point. That, yeah. Well, this game is certainly important, and I I do feel it isn't you know, and we need to win some games and gain confidence. And I think the regular season confidence is important to us. The one seed I think is actually going to rise on how we play in those other twelve mundane games. What I need to do is just start to gain a little bit more confidence. When the Jazz take on these superstars that you're talking about, David, that when they're motivated and when they're healthy and the superstars are on the court, because I'm not, I'm not putting a ton of weight into the, that single Dallas Mavericks loss last night, but I put weight into the collective of seeing the stars on the court that the Jazz need to stop and get wins against, and they're struggling to do that when those teams are healthy. And Phoenix is just another one to step to the bat. And, and so, But who are those stars? Well, I, I guess I think you listed them. Yeah, I guess I I I want to slide Booker in there. I I know. Maybe, I mean, he might be at that level. I mean, I think. I mean, he. You know, and then but then the question is, when you is Donovan in that? Yes. Okay. Well, if you're putting Donovan in, then I think Booker's in it. I'm not sure I have Donovan in that level. Okay, but if we're putting Donovan and Most Booker, most of the guys I have at that Paul? level are six eight. Booker's 6'5", Donovan 6'1". Like, I think that's, like, significant. Mm-hmm. Do you do you put Chris Paul in there? Um, He's having a heck of a year. He is. Um, that's a tricky one. He's having a heck of a year. I mean, he's at, yeah. he's at, he's at nine assists a game, 16 points. Booker's really interesting to me. Let me go back to Booker. Okay, so if you look at Booker recently, 35 against Minnesota, 35 against a shorthanded Charlotte team, 45 against Chicago, 32 against OKC, 36 against Houston, but 16 against Toronto. 
right? Like 17 against the Lakers, 18 against Boston, 43 against Minnesota. Like, I still think he's a little bit opponent dependent. Okay. Whereas Luca, I don't think is opponent dependent. No. At all. No. David Locke. I think Donovan is still a little opponent dependent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't can't think, argue that. I don't think Chris Paul is opponent dependent. Yeah. I just, um, yeah, I mean, maybe Chris Paul still got all of it. I'm not sure if he does, but maybe. David, always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for the time. By the way, Lucas 42 6 and 9 against the Clippers was not a point dependent. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Watching Luca put that big body into dude, dude, anybody. You're not helping. Stop. Oh. We can't go to break. He is, by the way, like, I actually, like, totally, like, I know it's a weird, like, it's different to comp men to women, but he's Diana Taurasi, who at the same age, in this, you know, like, at the same age was a dominant player in, in the WNBA and the best player in the league, and very similar, like, Six seven shoot six seven two thirty shooting guard doesn't exist. Six foot one point guard, you know, shooting. Excuse me, six seven two thirty point guard is not something we're used to. But that this is the same concept, and you know that's the greatest player to ever play in that game. So there's a there's a real comp, and you know the crazy one on Luca is he's a career thirty three percent three point shooter is now shooting thirty eight. Like he he might he may be a multiple time MVP. Yeah. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Hey, um, uh, just kidding. <laughs> One more thing. You're the best, David. Appreciate your time. See ya. Uh, David Locke right here on the Zone Sports Network.